This is The Enthusiast's Guild, a podcast about wonderful and interesting things with the people who enjoy them. I'm Fletcher C. Finch. I'm Adam Zaremski. And our guest today is... I'm Libby Mater. Libby and Adam and I worked together, and so we've known each other for years. We wanted to have Libby on the show to talk about her cooking and how that's been an important part of her life. It has been an important part of my life, for sure. When I was younger and I, I was single and I would cook a lot, other people, usually women, would say, oh, well, when you have kids, you know, you won't, you won't be cooking like that. Or, you know, when you get older, you'll get, t- you get tired of it after a while. And I, I have two children. They're 29 and 24. I, I loved cooking all through those years and all the changes that have happened. You cook different when you have children. And my husband, Eric, and I are empty nesters and I am still cooking. I'm 64 and I guess I've been cooking for 50 years, 53 years. I probably started with jello and ice cubes and <laughs> sandwiches and cheese and crackers when I was 10 or something like that. And here I am. It's a wonderful, wonderful, fun and practical art slash craft. And I think one of your impressive cooking accomplishments is that you went through an entire cookbook cooking all of the recipes. Can, can you tell us which cookbook was that? Yes, I did. The cookbook is Cooking for Jeffrey by Ina Garten, the barefoot contessa from TV fame. I think she's written 12 cookbooks, including her, her latest cookbook, Modern Comfort Food. And I am, again, making every recipe in order from that book. I liked it so much that I decided to do another Ina project. So with Cooking for Jeffrey, it took me two years. So I think it was November of 2016, I started with the very first recipe in Cooking for Jeffrey. And I made it and journaled about it, blogged about it on Facebook with photos and wrote up a little a little write-up each time. and. It was super fun. Of course, people really enjoy eating the food and that's always gratifying. You're, you're cooking for an enthusiastic audience almost always. I enjoy the blog on Facebook too and connecting with people that way. My blog is called Libby Loves to Cook slash the Sensibly Shod Commoner, which is a take on the Barefoot Contessa. I'm not barefoot and I'm not a Contessa. I'm the Sensibly <laughs> Shod Commoner. That's also spun off into me visiting food places. I like to go to restaurants and I have this weird thing about me. I love to go to grocery stores. Mm -hmm. A new grocery store or food store or food related business is a real treat, real exciting field trip. So I'll go alone or I'll go with Eric or I'll go with friends. And those little sensibly shod commoner outings are lots of fun. And I, I blog about those on Facebook also. What was it about cooking for Jeffrey that you saw and decided to to tackle the entire book? Sometimes you'll open a cookbook and you won't really find anything speaking to you. The recipes look nice or whatever, but you you don't see yourself ever making any of them. Or maybe you'll see one that you'd like to try sometime. And when I opened cooking for Jeffrey, it just seemed like, you know, that experience when you go to a restaurant, you open the menu and you almost can't even decide what to order because literally everything looks good and you'd be happy if they brought you anything off the menu. And that's how I felt about that book. I thought I would like to make every single recipe in here. And then I thought, oh, I certainly could do that. And so I did. How'd you do that? Did you say like this day is a recipe from the cookbook 
or was it every week or what was the, I guess, timeline? And I'm curious preparation wise for that too. I was very loose about it. I made a decision that I was going to make all of them and that I was going to do them in order. And other than that, I didn't have any rules. I didn't have any schedule. I felt very strongly that I was still working at the time. I'm retired now, but I was still working at the time. And I felt very strongly, I love cooking and eating. And this this project was not going to be a source of stress. I was not going to put myself on some schedule. Life is full of enough schedules. That was kind of my feeling. So I did a recipe whenever I felt like it. There were some long pauses between recipes when I wasn't looking forward to the next recipe. <laughs> there was a recipe for kielbasa and lentils. <laughs> <laughs> and I forget what the recipe was before that, but there was a weeks long, maybe months long pause because I had committed to doing every recipe and I had committed to doing them in order. So I could not go forward until I did the kielbasa and lentils. And I found out I like kielbasa a little bit because it's sort of like bacon flavoring. Yeah, yeah, there, there is that smoke. There to it. is. But I reestablished the fact that I do, I do not like lentils. <laughs> you know, sometimes I would make a recipe that I wasn't expecting to like, and I did indeed like it. And that did not happen with the kielbasa and lentils. <laughs> There were a couple of times I went out of order, but it wasn't to skip something I didn't want to do. It was to do something that was later in the book then because it was a better time. And there were only a couple of occasions. One was a, um, a peach cobbler or a peach crumble. I forget what it was. It was a beautiful peach dessert. And that was going to come up like in November or December. And I, the peaches were so wonderful in September that I pulled that from the back of the book and I did that recipe early when peaches were good. So there were a couple of instances like that when I moved a recipe up in order to take advantage of seasonal ingredients, but I never skipped one and I didn't move anything around because I was repelled by it. I got <laughs> to it eventually and could move on after that. And it was a great feeling, you know, like when you do that homework project and then you can watch TV. No. For for someone like me who doesn't especially enjoy cooking, approaching a, a dish or a recipe can feel a bit like a chore. How did you still make it funny even when you were cooking something that you weren't looking forward to, like the kielbasa and lentils? Well, I didn't know that you didn't love cooking because a lot of times people who really enjoy food, as you do, um, I know, do do enjoy cooking too. The multitasking aspect of it I find very challenging. Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to be cooking a dish with multiple sides, I will actually end up charting out on a piece of paper specific times and start a stopwatch and make sure like, oh, I have 30 seconds until I have to turn this. Oh, I have to run over here. And it ends up feeling a bit stressful. Stressful. Right. I get that. I like grilling. Yeah. One thing. One thing. Yeah. Without the stress of all the and it's other... outdoors. Oh, yeah. And, and there's a bit more uh, wiggle room, I think, sometimes with grilling, too. Mm -hmm. Some people may like something with a little bit more char. Some mm -hmm. people might like something a little more well done. And so the the griller can pass that off as intentional. <laughs> I was thinking about that earlier about my own cooking. And I, yeah, I do the grilling 
aspect, but then I'm thinking, okay, we have Libby Mater on. She's going to be talking about all these meals she prepares. And I'm like, I don't know that I prepare a meal. I'll do as Fletcher said, the grilling and then Sharon's inside doing the rest or Sharon just does all everything in general. Like I probably hit, maybe I get up to halfway of the meal. I don't think I've done the full preparation. I just thought it seems lazy on my part. (laughs) And I think that's just a matter of experience and what you talk about, what you say about, you know, timing things. I write things down too, like chicken, 3.50, 3 p.m., you know, Brussels sprouts, 4.15, 3.75. I will write that all down too. Otherwise, you're, you're churning it around in your mind all the time. You're, and, and when you write it down, you can forget about it and just consult your list. So you find, like doing any other project, you find things to cut down on the stress. And to go back to your question about, you know, how I would feel making something that I wasn't looking forward to, I guess I would just get through it. And I, I'm blessed with a husband who likes practically everything. And so I was sure at least one of us, I was pretty sure at least one of us was going to like it. But I also had the exploratory spirit the whole time. Like this was fun. Mm -hmm. This was a fun project. Keep in mind, I wasn't going to make the project. I wasn't going to make the recipe unless I wanted to. There was, it was a no stress. I was not allowing myself to stress out too much about anything. It was supposed to be fun. So there was that, you know, excitement of exploring. And I was excited to taste the lentils and the kielbasa. I had a preformed opinion about them, but Mm -hmm. that turned out to be true. So I have a adventurous spirit when I'm cooking. You talked about experience and adventuresome aspect towards it. Where did it all come from? Do you, is there someone when you started doing the jello and the crackers and stuff <laughs> that influenced this that got you going or was it internal? Yes, you know, so I was, let's see, I would have been 10 in 1966. So if you think of the 60s and you think of Housewives on TV and Julia Child, the French chef, her PBS program was actually on TV in original shows at that time. And I loved her. My mom didn't love to cook. And um, she she cooked all the time. She was the mother of six. And so with the mom and dad, she cooked for a family of eight. Wow. Day in and day out. And this was in a time when, you know, you ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, those were cooked meals or prepared meals. You you weren't in the 60s, you weren't running to McDonald's a couple times a week for lunch and things like that. That was sort of unheard of. So mom didn't love cooking and she cooked a lot out of necessity. So when I started to watch things like The French Chef or I would see housewives on TV preparing some fantasy meal for their fantasy family, I think that's what started to get my curiosity. It all probably started with curiosity and liking to eat. I wanted the jello. That's why I made it. You know, mom wasn't making it. <laughs> she was busy. Like you said, practical aspect yeah. too. So yeah. if I wanted jello, I was going to have to make that. And if I wanted a snack while I watched TV, I was going to have to go out there and fry the bologna or make the cheese and crackers or whatever I decided to have for a snack. And my oldest brother, Skip, also married a woman, Maureen O'Neill, who was a fabulous cook. And that, you know, as anything else that sort of opened my eyes, I thought, wow, you know, she made her own, she made lollipops at Christmas and she made her own pizza. And she just sort of opened my eyes to a whole new 
frontier of food. And then it just goes on from there. I, I read books that were probably too old for me. I read cookbooks and I loved Peg Bracken. She wrote the I Hate Cookbook, which sort of set the stage for me being a columnist later as well as loving to cook. So I think it's just curiosity. Can you chat with people while you're cooking or do you want to focus more? Depends on what I'm making. Mm-hmm. If I'm making something that I don't need much of my brain for, like something that doesn't require a recipe or something I've made a lot. But that's a good question because we would have Eric's mom, um, my mother-in-law over a lot for the Ina recipes. And and of course, she'd come like about an hour before dinner. And of course, we'd be in the kitchen chatting. And I, of course, I'd be either making or putting the finishing touches on one of these Ina recipes and Ina's recipes, at least in cooking for Jeffrey, were were pretty complex, some of them. Mm-hmm. And I would need to focus and I couldn't talk and, you know, measure and stay attentive to what I was making at the same time. So I have to give up a little of the conversation to focus on my my food. Part of the reason that I wanted to ask that is because I do often think of the kitchen as that cozy family gathering place as much as it is a food preparation place. Definitely is. Definitely the heart of any home. You notice that whenever you go to anybody's house, uh, they can say the parties in whatever room they want to say the parties in, but everybody ends up in the kitchen because that's where the food is. <laughs> We're, it's primal. Now, are there any other chefs or cooks or people who, who you've met whose work influences you in your cooking? I have a lot of good cooks in my family and my, our two sons are, are good cooks, which makes me really happy. They eat anything and everything now. They did not when they were in my house. I sometimes think I should have just not cooked to their childhood tastes and just gone ahead and made the sophisticated things that they make and like now. I think I'm inspired by restaurant chefs um, that I maybe have never met. I can have a dish in a restaurant and then look it up later and make it myself. We have pizza almost every Saturday night and I make it. And sometimes if I'm looking for inspiration, I don't know how the pizza guys will feel and gals will feel when they hear this, but I'll, I'll look up a pizzeria recipe or a pizzeria menu online and, you know, they describe the toppings right there. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> there's and my idea. Think, oh, oh that herb would go really well and, with. Yeah. Yes, fresh basil and manchego cheese. That does sound good. And you can just go from that. I mean, Sure, it says uh, what they put on it, but there's how much, when, um, how, you know, there's certain things like pizza, you know what to cook at, but right. you can figure out in your mind like, oh, or do you, or is that extra research? Well, for pizza, it's sort of like making a sandwich, you know, you've made a sandwich and you. I feel you like know. I've been slapped down there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm trying to sound reassuring. No, I get it. <laughs> You've made a sandwich and when you're making a sandwich, you don't need anybody to tell you, well, take three slices of beef. You, you make it the way you want to eat it. You can see what the beef looks like. You know what kind of bread you have. You know how you want it to feel when you bite it. And it's, that's sort of the way it is with the pizza too. Through trial and error, you know that if you put too many toppings on it, it turns into, you know, it's too heavy, doesn't cook right. That's experience, but mostly just with a pizza, making things the way you want to eat them. Which brings me to another thought that I have when you're talking about what to put on a pizza and acting like that's like a little bit intimidating. 
is that one of the goals that I have in talking about my own cooking so much and blogging about it on Facebook and sharing, I share a lot of food photos, is that I do want to encourage people that there's nothing to be intimidated about food and that most of the time, unless you're talking about a cake, most of the time you want to cook something so that you want to eat it. So whether you're roasting vegetables or making a chicken dish or whatever, you if it looks like you want to eat it and you stick a fork in it and it seems like you'd like to eat it, then you're probably doing okay. I like to encourage people that cooking is something everybody can do and relax and enjoy it and brings people together. And we need that more than ever. And that's something we've needed every decade I've been alive so far. And I'm sure every decade that I will be. Libby, what's one of your favorite dishes to prepare? I make pizza almost every Saturday night. I love doing that. That's a ritual. I used to make my own dough, but I buy it now. And um, the toppings change up week to week, depending on what looks good or what I feel like. Roasted mushrooms is a favorite. Uh, The cup and char pepperoni. I love that. Caramelized onions or regular onions. Spinach is great on a pizza. Uh, So I'd say... I'd say pizza is one of my favorite things to make and eat. And I love to cook what I love to eat and I love salmon. So just roasted salmon is probably one of my favorite meals. What was the pepperoni thing you said? A cup of... Cup and char. If you, cup and char yep, if you notice on your favorite pieces of pizza, the pepperoni is curled up and is dark on the edges and has a little bit of oil in the middle of it. That's called cup and char. If I'm going to a party or going to a family holiday or something, I, people often ask me to bring the dessert. I always get compliments on my dessert, but I always want to say to people, you know, I make other things. <laughs> I like all the courses. You can give me, I can bring a salad or I can bring a veggie or, you know, I can bring an appetizer, but I seem to get put into the dessert slot. Next week we're having a party. <laughs> you can come. What would you bring? Well, I would first ask you what you wanted me to bring. Ah, uh, your choice. I want to have, you know, the years of Libby Mater experience. And it's what you're saying you've, I guess I'd be curious, like if you had the option to, and someone said, bring whatever you want, Yeah, what would it be? Well, that would change according to the party and the people and the season. And right now with me starting to do Ina's newest book, Modern Comfort Food, I might try and work in, I might try and knock off the next recipe. And it's fun to bring to people and have a larger audience taste it. I happen to be in the cocktail chapter. So the next recipe is called the Ultimate Bloody Mary. It has uh, a skewer with a cocktail shrimp hanging on the side of the glass, which is rimmed in Old Bay seasoning. And instead of horseradish, it has wasabi powder and... (laughs) Some kind of... You're invited. You are invited to the party, and that is the perfect dish to pass. (laughs) What dish I would bring if you gave me open field on that would would depend on all of those factors. So so I'm in with the Bloody Mary, huh? Nice. Yes, exactly. Adam, I I want to turn that one back around on you and find out what you would bring to a party. Man, I'm just thinking about Bloody Marys right now. Uh, If I had to... I I hope she appreciates this when she listens later. Um, Often I will, when we arrange for 
gatherings, meetups with friends, whether it, whether it's just another couple or, you know, getting kids together or it's a larger party. <laughs> at some point, I'll be like, so we were told to bring food, Sharon. <laughs> and I look to my wife and and without hesitation, you know, she's planning. And often, like, if I know there's something busy, I probably would just go pick up, like, something. But if she wants to or has the time, she'll probably make it. So I guess I would say I would <laughs> defer to Sharon on that and be honest. That, An honest like, answer. Yeah, I'd probably be the one bringing the alcohol most of the time. Mm-hmm. See, so yeah, I guess I would I look to Sharon to bring it. If I had a meal to bring, I guess it would go in with what Libya said, like something you want to eat. It would be spinach artichoke dip mm. with the pita Ooh. bread. Mm. That sounds really good. The ultimate Bloody Mary. Yeah. And, and a spinach, the spinach artichoke. artichoke dip yeah. with the pita. I think I think that's the party there. We're mm-hmm. set. What's what else do you need? Yeah. Yeah. My my go to for a party is to bring a platter with sliced vegetables on it with the colors arranged nicely, a store bought veggie dip. But often a, a party extra vegetables are welcome, especially if it's the sort of party where people are bringing bags of chips or, you know. Uh, guacamole and and nachos something like that you might not want to just dip a chip you might want to dip a carrot or or dip a piece of celery i'm right with you fletcher but it is making me think how we invited someone such as libby mater on this show to talk about cooking the best we can come up with a spinach artichoke dip and a veggie tray tray. (laughs) well i like both those things and you're right that fletcher that um people at a party are happy to see a a simple easy to pick up and eat healthy option you know instead of having an, another chip they'll they'll have a couple carrots or a radish or some pea pods or whatever it's a good thing to bring Ooh, now i want snow peas mm-hmm. Libby, do you ever have moments you've been yes. cooking for <laughs> whatever you're gonna say yeah i guarantee you ever have moments <laughs> uh, it's good to have you on the show libby um where you don't like cooking where you're just yes yeah I mean, I know you talk about the kielbasa, but if like mm-hmm. if it's just a normal day, like you have to prepare and cook. Yeah, I definitely, definitely, definitely do. Um, th- I like to, as a matter of fact, make things at home that will guarantee me a second night of leftovers. Um, that's nice that, that, you know, you so even I who enjoy cooking very, very much love taking the night off and I also love things that are easy to prepare, that are almost mindless to prepare. And um, I'm not always up for the for the complex recipe that's difficult to build and takes a lot of attention and a lot of time. You have to be in the mood for that. I'm probably just in the mood for it more than other people, but even I have to be in the mood for it. And I I notice that if I'm not in the mood and I cook anyway because it's time to eat and we have to eat, um, sometimes things go wrong because you're just not in the mood. So yeah, even I. What's gone wrong? Any specific examples? Well, just make me feel better when I'm cooking a meal. Yeah, well, the other night I was making a recipe which turned out great. It was it was really good, but I was supposed to cut. It was a roasted dish. I forget what I was roasting now, but it, it had uh, on the sheet pan. It had little baby potatoes. I was supposed to um, cut them in half before I put them on the sheet pan. And I, I didn't, I missed that part of the instruction. And so I had, I, that messed up the timing because obviously it takes longer to roast a whole potato than, 
That's why they wanted you to cut it in half. Then everything on the sheet pan would come out at the same time. As I say, I don't remember what else I was roasting on the sheet pan, but that's a good example. So what I did was I smashed, they were whole potatoes and they weren't quite done yet. So I smashed them, which is a thing now, smashed potatoes. Oh, yes. So I smashed them and they were delicious and it looked like I meant to do that all the time. (laughs) Now, is there a dish that was a real challenge that you were very happy to accomplish or that took you a couple tries, but you were thrilled when you finally got it right? Well, in the Ina project, do you mean, or in general? In general. In the the Ina, uh, cooking for Jeffrey recipes were the most challenging recipes, among the most challenging recipes I've ever made. Um, And again, remember, I've committed to making them no matter what. So that makes sense that they would be among the most challenging. There's other recipes that I might have looked at and thought, oh, that looks good, but I don't want to take three days to render a duck fat and, you know, all of that. So in the Ina book, I had to do them no matter what. And the dessert chapter was particularly challenging. And there was a four-layer chocolate cake from scratch, which I think is challenging enough with a mocha buttercream frosting that you had to make in a stand mixer. And I didn't own one, so I had to borrow one from my father-in-law, Jack. And the frosting had to beat for an hour, I think it was. So you just set it on the counter. And so all of these things were very daunting. And the construction of the cake it was you baked two layers and sliced them horizontally to make four layers and then frosted those layers and it was a it was very daunting it turned out just beautiful and it was delicious so I was proudest of that because uh, it really did look like somebody other than I had made it it looked it looked (laughs) like something you might see in a bakery so I was very proud of that and that's not something I necessarily would have done if I hadn't been doing the project it is when you say you you were proud of that, is the food cooking, do you find it's more for you or for the people you're cooking for? Like, it, obviously, there's got to be some self-gratification. Like, I cooked this awesome meal. I cooked this awesome cake. But to have someone say, this was great, and then just be like, oh, I guess that's still similar. Like, it's the, the praise coming back to you. But are you just happy that people enjoyed it? Yes, but that's not enough. I have to like it, too, for it to be a really fun experience for me. Everybody likes it. But yeah, pleasing other people, feeding my family, feeding my husband, pleasing other people, bringing something to your party where everybody enjoys it. That's really fun. That's a great feeling. I guess I I love people through food. So when people feel it, then it's very gratifying. But it starts with me wanting to make something I want to eat. You know, you've made things that you didn't necessarily want to eat. It's it's hard to push through that. And so I almost always, unless it's a project where I've committed to making every recipe, I almost always find myself making something that I'm in the mood for. I've even said that to Eric or the kids, you know, I hope you're in the mood for this because I am. And so <laughs> everybody's eating what I'm in the mood for. That's the cook's prerogative, I guess. I like that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the control you have and Mm-hmm. You can kind of dictate them and people should be okay with it. <laughs> well, it's inspiration too. You know that you always um, enjoy doing something that you're excited about and you probably do best the things that you're excited about. So it, I think everybody chooses recipes based on, ooh, that sounds good. And not, ooh, that's probably going to sound good to other people. 
it's no, ooh, that sounds good to me. You know, I could go for that lobster BLT right now. Have you ever instructed others on how to cook? Yes, my kids. And um, I loved cooking with my kids. Uh, That's super fun. And my nieces, Elena and Grace, I taught them both how to make pie crust. We've cooked together. So yes, I have. I have taught other people. And I love when people ask me cooking questions. I'm always very flattered. If somebody texts me or calls me or or Eric's cooking and he calls out from the kitchen, you know, which knife should I use for this? I'm always very flattered. Like, ooh, I'm I'm an expert. Wow. You know, that's <laughs> that's that feeling. Is there a place that you would direct people if if one of our listeners isn't an experienced cook but wants to get into it, where would you recommend they start? Yeah, we're lucky nowadays with technology. There's so many great videos that, you know, it's 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 so easy to learn something if you can look at a video of someone doing it. And Tasty is one. They have a lot of good, quick videos that I think um, demystify the cooking process and make it less intimidating. And I hope, you know, people look at the Tasty videos and think, oh, yeah, I can I can make that sheet pan supper with the shrimp and the broccoli and the fresh ginger and the garlic, you know, that's, they put that together in 30 seconds. Um, so online resources are available and of course, good old fashioned books, you know, open a cookbook, especially one that has really good pictures of the process. The pioneer woman has cookbooks that are great with step-by-step photos of her process. That would be one that, that I think anybody could pick up and make a recipe with her clear directions and her pictures. Ina's recipes are foolproof. They're not necessarily always for beginners. Is there a way you're looking to pass? We, we talked about who you've taught. Is there things you want to pass on to, say, your sons or nieces, you know, with this cooking or anyone else that you've been doing it for so many years? And I think of cooking the way you've been describing it. This is something like a craft. This is something someone who does carpentry, you know, and it's such an awesome talent. And it just seems like that's a great thing to pass on to family because like you it talked is. about the the being in the kitchen, you know, the collegial aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So are there things you're looking to pass on mm-hmm. to them? I think I already have. That sounds so final. I'm not done. <laughs> sure. They are older. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> they, they are. And when I talk about cooking with them, I'm really remembering when they were little. They took off on their own in the kitchen by the time they were adolescents and teenagers that I was no lo- we were no longer cooking together. We were not that mother and son. But when they were little, you know, bread and Christmas cookies and, you know, those sorts of things. What I would like to, and, and my nieces, I, I've not passed on a lot to my nieces. Just, just the pie crust came to mind and they're both wonderful cooks. Also, I have, I hope, passed on my love of food and my my love of making food for people and having that be a way of getting comfort and love among all of us together. I, and I think that sharing that love of food will be what I have passed on. I, I don't think about, you know, like, oh, what can I leave them? But a love of food seems to be very important to both of our sons. And that makes me happy because it's such a great pleasure in life. And it makes me happy that they have that, uh, whether I'm the one who helped them find that or, or in, in some way, or they found it in other inspiration, too. I'm glad they have it. Libby, where can people find you online? I am on Facebook. The name of my page is 
Libby Loves to Cook, The Sensibly Shod Commoner. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. This is really fun. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of The Enthusiasts Guild. You can find all of our episodes on your podcast player of choice. We're on Facebook and Instagram at The Enthusiasts Guild, on Twitter at Enthusiast Guild, and you can email us at theenthusiastguild at gmail.com. Our music this episode is Arroz con Pollo by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, used under a Creative Commons license.